having an orgasm makes me feel a little bit more like me. And it's like this, also this wonderful release, complete surrender. And it's like this relief too, almost like when you push a baby out of your body. So it's like, ah, like it's same, same. Okay, so this is Lindsay. She goes by at Zula Bliss on Instagram. I would follow her if you want some wholesome, revelatory, liberating content. Uh, here's her bio. Lindsay Bliss is a seasoned birth doula, a childbirth educator, co-founder of Carriage House Birth, and the mother of seven. That's seven children. Lindsay is considered to be a multiples expert after giving birth to two consecutive sets of twins. She is the author of The Doula's Guide to Empowering Your Birth. Lindsay has been practicing since 2009 and has supported first-time parents, multi-powers, single parents, LGBTQIA plus families, twin births, medicated and non-medicated vaginal births, cesarean births, and VBACs, which I had to look up once she sent that to me. It's a vaginal birth after cesarean so often if you have a cesarean you're encouraged to not have a vaginal birth after that so sometimes you need a bit of support to make it happen or I guess you always need a bit of support I mean let's just let's just have a lot of support during birth why don't we make that yeah completely the expected thing I feel like I haven't done Lindsay justice there by reading out her bio. Hopefully this episode will illuminate who she is much more. But I would recommend checking out her Instagram because the only thing you can't get a sense of from the audio is her extensive tattoo collection, which mm, 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 if I was going to tap my body, she would be an aspirational figure. I mean, she's still an aspirational figure. I'm just too scared to tap my body. (laughs) Okay, hi, I'm popping back in. Yes, my voice is slightly different. I recorded the intro a while back and now I need to add something to it and it turns out I have left it to the last minute. We are in a heat wave. My baby is currently in the bath and I've strained my voice teaching today in 40 degree heat. A long story short, I'm doing it and we're getting it done. I wanted to add to the intro that I've already done for Lindsay that I'm putting this episode out a year after I recorded it. So there are some things to bear in mind when you listen. When I'm talking to Lindsay, I am at 38 weeks pregnant, I believe. I went went to 42 weeks pregnant. I went full term and then some and I had to be induced. If you want to hear the full story of that, it is in the pre-series big birth bonus episode. I'm not sure exactly what I called it, but it's great. Lots of people listen to it and gives you the full context of what actually happened. Lindsay and I talk a lot about my preparations for home birth. I didn't end up having one. Again, go back to that episode, but I still think our chat is super relevant and really interesting especially when it comes to why Lindsay is even on this podcast. You might be like, birth orgasms ugh. when in fact there is so much crossover i don't want to go over too much of the stuff that we're talking about in the podcast already because repetitive but i think it's really important if you're like i'm not sure i'm going to dip my toe in this one to heads up i was really worried going into the editing of this about nine months after we'd recorded it and i'd had a baby that the questions i asked were going to be super naive because i'd never had a child before and i was talking to somebody who's seen and facilitated over 400 births and has seven children of her own Uh, and it turns out that because Lindsay is such an insightful interesting person the conversation just went to places that were revelatory for me for her and I hope for you 
And I think it's definitely worth a listen. And there are loads of overlaps between the ways in which birth requires a level of surrender to your body that I think definitely chimes with what we've talked about in other episodes around having to surrender to your kind of body's innate knowledge when it comes to orgasm and sex and enjoying all of those things. So, yeah, sit back, relax, put a fan on if you're currently in the UK and there's no outro for this one because, yeah, heatwave, baby in the bath. <laughs> also, the last outro was epic, so I feel a bit subconscious about doing any more outros for the next little while. So if you want to chuck us some pounds or some dollars or anything you can spare at this difficult time, I understand if you can't, please chill out on that just stay and enjoy but if you can we are on patreon www.patreon.com forward slash helen duff and ko-fi for a one-off donation it's ko-fi.com forward slash helen duff also if you want to give us a five-star review no one's done that yet this series because i haven't plugged it i keep forgetting so yeah if you've been enjoying what we're doing this time around and you want more people to find it a great way to help that happen is to either pass it to a friend or to write a little something on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts in your app. It's very, very helpful. And we love to see it. I say we, it's me. I, I, I love to see it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to go and put my voice to rest as well as my boy. And uh, yeah, here's Lindsay. Doulas provide informational, educational, and emotional support. There is some advocacy that happens with a doula. It's, uh, I, I tell people I highlight choice. You know, people are, oh, you're a pregnant person's BFF. And I'm like, kind of, um, like a tour, gu- <laughs> a tour guide of birth. Um, uh, so that's, that's what a doula is. Um, we are not, you know, people often confuse us with midwives. We are non-clinical, right? Mm. So we are not delivering babies. We are not doing fetal heart tones. We are, we are solely there to highlight choice and, and, um, help clients to empower themselves if they choose that route. Mm. And and if clients don't want to be empowered, that's cool too, but we're there to, to really follow, um, the lead of the clients that we work with and hopefully offer some normalization of a process, right? That, that we've been a part of some doulas a handful of times, some doulas thousands of times. So we're there to help normalize a process that has been overly medicalized. So we're there to like hold emotional space too, because I often feel like care providers are checking in on you and the, and the baby and your physical health. And really, that's something that they're trained to do. Whereas doulas are really holding so much space for the emotional process that happens during pregnancy, the birth and postpartum experience. There's, you know, who's checking in on the person who gave birth? Uh, is there pressure sometimes as a, a pregnant person to appear capable? Because I've experienced this where I actually don't want the midwives to think that I haven't got all my shit together because I want them to feel like, because we're planning to have a home birth. And I'm saying this very conscious that it's potentially in the next few days. And who knows when I do the introduction and the outro for this show, what the difference will be between what we chat about today and, and what I actually experienced. But I'm going into it very excited, very 
excited it makes it sound like I'm going to a fun fair. Very like positive and hopeful and yeah, open to this thing that's going to happen, this very powerful thing that's going to happen. We had a midwife team come over who were lovely, but in advance it was to do a what they call a home birth assessment. And Got I it. misinterpreted that as a home birth inspection. So I literally imagined them like running their fingers along mantelpieces looking for dust. And they turned up and they could not be nicer and they were so enthusiastic about home birth, really encouraging about our choice because we're low risk and they said we wish more people explored it as an option. And I had really got into my head about I have to appear capable in front of these midwives. I have to convince them that we are not going to be really messy having a home birth, you know, both in terms of like literal mess but also emotional mess. And you just saying that you hold emotional space for pregnant people during birth really struck a chord with me in that sense. Do you think people sometimes mask feelings around doctors and more clinical professionals because it's we're sort of trained to, yeah, want to perform for them? Wow. I, it's very interesting that you're sharing that because I've never heard it articulated so well. I definitely think that what I do is try to build a relationship with the clients that I work with. So they feel comfortable calling me and telling me like, you know what? I never wanted to be pregnant. I'm actually not happy that I'm about to have this baby. I'm struggling. Can you point me in the direction of some resources to support me during my pregnancy? Cause I'm struggling or I'm a survivor of something. Cause most people that give birth ha- are a survivor of something. Maybe they'll confide in me something that they don't want to confide to their care team Mm. so that they can be authentically themselves and be okay in their, whatever they're, they're processing through. Cause more than likely they're not alone in that, Mm. but for whatever reason, we tend to feel that like, Oh, we're the only person in the world that feels this way and nobody else will understand. So there's like shame associated with a lot of the feelings that come up either as pregnant people or people giving birth or people in the new postpartum space, right? Like, we don't want to share what we're really feeling in fear of being judged or labeled like a bad parent. Um, I do try to create a space where somebody can call me and just, you know, have an emotional vomit and not feel judged. No, I'm not a clinician. I'm not, or I'm also not a mental health professional. So I'm not a therapist. I have very like strong boundaries around that as well. And, and will refer clients to a, appropriate resources for that. But I I end up becoming a safe place for people to share, like, I'm feeling this. I'm like, okay, well, here's some resources. Here's some things we can do to address that. And it's actually okay that you're feeling that and validate them, see them, like actually see them and not judge them. Right. And this, this anxiety about performing and that that's all about control. Mm. Right. And we can't control when we give birth, how we give birth, even if we have a scheduled procedure, we can't control exactly how it's going to go, even in the most controlled environment. So I think this like performance anxiety or like trying to keep it together. It's like birth is fucking messy. We get cracked. (laughs) Like it's messy. Emotionally, it's messy. It can be a lot of blood, a lot of fluid, a lot of poop, Mm. you know, and it, and it's also like emotionally, for me with my first birth, I was cracked open in a Mm. way that I wasn't anticipating all of my past trauma that I'm like, oh, that's, I'm not going to deal with that. Let me just push that back, push that back, push that back. I gave birth and everything came bubbling to the surface. Wow. So, and that's not the case for everyone, but, but, but I, I think that if we leave space for things to be expansive, 
and maybe be messy and maybe be big, we'd be more of our authentic selves in the process and not trying to, to like be up here instead of being like in our body during the process. So when I, you said I, up here, you're pointing to your, your I'm head. I'm pointing to my head and people cannot see me pointing to my head. So I'm such a hand talker. <laughs> What's fascinating is you also use your hand when you're talking about being cracked open and you use it in your chest and your heart, like expanding. And it's so interesting because we've had people describe orgasms because this podcast is all about orgasms and, and pleasure. Uh, we've had people describe orgasms as feeling like something is kind of bursting out of your chest. Somebody at one point said it was like some kind of being like floating up out of themselves. And I couldn't help but imagine a kind of angel appearing in the sky above them. It's not me, not we must be the situation. But it all down to the ground, let's start again. Because there's so much pre-expectation and so many internalised things you have about birth that you don't even realise, so many fears, so many assumptions, so many completely false cultural references about the waters breaking in a supermarket and screaming and bearing down and assaulting your birth partner and so much stuff that is just like your kind of standard sitcom tropes. How do you encourage people you work with to see birth as something that could be pleasurable? Because I'm really going into it hoping, thinking it's possible that it can be a powerful as fuck experience, but not one that is necessarily tortuous, scarring, traumatising. And yet somehow I've become nervous about even saying that to other people because I don't want them to immediately shut me down and go, oh my God, you're so naive. Oh, you have no idea. It's going to fuck you up so badly. So I've kind of kept that to myself and just sort of been harbouring it in my heart because I'm so worried that either people are going to, yeah, think I'm an idiot or I'm going to offend somebody who had a really difficult, painful, traumatic time and suggest that I think I can just like sail through it and I'll be some kind of hero woman. So that is an amazing question. And I didn't believe that it was possible until it happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, th- there is this video. I was I was one of my early educators uh, created a video called Orgasmic Birth. And it talks about how birth can be orgasmic. And I watched the video and I was like, oh, okay, all right. And then being a part of so many births, I, I didn't see the ecstasy. I didn't see the orgasmic experience until... I saw someone have a fully empowered experience, right? Which means the environment makes them feel safe. And I'll speak from my personal experience. The environment that I chose was a safe environment. Mm-hmm. I um, I had a good support team, the care providers that I chose. I, I had full trust in them. I trusted my body. I really was okay with surrendering right? Because surrender is hard, right? Mm. It's not even just letting, like letting it get big and messy. It's like surrendering to the process, trusting that, that this wasn't happening to me, but it was my body doing it. And it couldn't be bigger than me because it was me, because it was me doing it. And Mm. like a lot of people often feel like it's something happening to them instead of them doing this, right? Or their body doing this. There's this disassociation that happens so often because of media, because of like, how many births have you seen before you give birth? More than likely none. You've seen the, like the, not the elevator, the supermarket scene of breaking water, people Mm. screaming, and then there's a three month old baby, right? 
And so we don't get these models. And so there's so much fear. So we hold, right? Instead of surrendering and, and, and loosening our bodies to the process. And for me, birth is intense. I don't think you can get around away from that, right? It's fucking intense, right? Mm-hmm. I had a home birth with twins, both babies. One was eight pounds, was, one was seven pounds, nine ounces. They were massive babies. And so it was <laughs> wild. It was very intense, an intensity I've never experienced before in my life. And there's nothing I can compare it to. Mm-hmm. But the intensity is much more than I actually had prepared myself for, just even with my first to my last birth. That level of intensity, I think, is what people end up associating with pain and loss of control because it's like nothing they've ever experienced before. Mm. But if you're not fighting what's happening and you're surrendering and softening to what's happening, it can actually be enjoyable. Mm. The birth with my twin boys was enjoyable. There were moments where I was like, oh, fuck, this is a lot. This is big. But there was never a moment where I was fighting it. I wasn't afraid. I, you know, and I don't know if that's because I had given birth before. And, you know, like my first birth, I went into it very naively, like, oh, people have been doing this forever. Like, I don't have to really emotionally prepare. Like my body's just going to do this thing. Like I got it. And then when it happened, I was so floored at the level of intensity. I I felt completely sideswiped Mm -hmm. because I, you know, my mother was a childbirth educator. I'd grown up around birth and talking about birth. It was so normalized, which was so cool in one way, right? That I felt comfortable going into it and like, really like, this isn't a big deal. People do this. I didn't allow myself to actually wrap my head around how physically intense and emotionally intense that process could be. I minimized it because I really, like, I I don't think I prepared myself well enough uh, for how big this experience was. And therefore it was painful because I was so surprised by how big it was and how intense it was. The the birth that I had the pleasurable experience though, I already knew it was a big thing. I already made space for that. I was like, this is gonna be big, this is gonna be intense. And I already knew that so I wasn't scared because I expected it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I, and I remember like laughing while while pushing them out and like, <laughs> like it, it, you know, and, and, and it's possible. That's incredible. That's so inspiring. God, I'd love to be laughing as I push him out. I wanted to come back to the idea of because you were expecting it. So in terms of expecting it, obviously, there's a knowledge physically because you've been through it in terms of how big it's going to be, how intense it's going to be. But in terms of preparing for that, was there anything you did differently? Well, I changed care providers. I was with a hospital. I had a twin pregnancy that was treated very high risk. I did not have any things though that were like, my blood pressure was great. I had no preeclampsia, no gestational diabetes, like all the things. I was Mm -hmm. actually very healthy. And I decided to change where I was going to give birth from the hospital to a home birth setting. Mm -hmm. And it was my first home birth too, right? So all my other babies were born. My first was in a birthing center. My first set of twins were in the hospital, vaginal birth, but with an epidural, like a very you know, standard twin delivery. Mm-hmm. And I wanted something different. And so choosing a midwife for my twin journey really was what set the tone for me taking back my power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also I saw the OB up very close to the end of the pregnancy because I also knew that I was at a higher risk of having a cesarean delivery. 
So having two care providers, I know not everyone has access to that. I fortunately had an OB that was giving me, um, you know, care that was covered by my insurance and a midwife that, you know, was was giving me a rate that I could afford Mm -hmm. to do it at home. The American system is so different in terms of the expense involved. Um, it is, like I said, medicine is a la carte and so a lot lucky. of people don't have access to care. And mm. so their choices are extremely limited and people end up not getting the care that they deserve or want. Did you ever have a moment during that process where you were going for the home birth, where you questioned your choices, where you thought to yourself, Absolutely. what have I done? Absolutely. not going to the hospital. I definitely had doubts choosing a home birth with twins because I was going against some of the recommendations that were given to me by my OB. Um, I am not a risk taker, though. So I continued my journey with the OB to make sure that we were doing the non-stress test, making sure there was enough fluid, there was good blood flow from the placentas to the babies, making sure that I was healthy and my blood pressure was good and all mm. the things. And, and, and midwives can do a lot of that care too. I just wanted the access to the OB in the event that both babies were breech. I probably would have still wanted to do a home birth though, even if they were both breech. In the hospital system here, baby A needs to be head down in order to have a vaginal delivery. Um, and, and so, yeah, I probably would have wanted a home birth with, but that was my biggest fear was the babies being in a breach presentation mm-hmm. or having a postpartum hemorrhage mm-hmm. at home. That, that was a fear of mine because a twin pregnancy or a twin labor, the uterus can be hyperextended, which increases the risk of a postpartum hemorrhage. I was very familiar with what happens with twin mm-hmm. pregnancies and births because I had had a set of twins already. So I knew what the risks were like a prolax cord after baby a coming out. Like I knew all the things. Um, so that was challenging being a birth worker and knowing too much. Yeah. was hard. How do you turn your brain off when you need to? Can't (laughs) (laughs) going into labor, shut my brain off. I had to, right. I went into labor, my brain just shut off and I allowed the experience to happen and I surrendered to the flow of it. But prior to that, that that process was a lot of work, like choosing a care. I felt like I was cheating on my OB when I chose a home birth, but I knew it was the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing something bad. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you come across as a badass <laughs> on your Instagram. Like I encourage people to go and look at it if they haven't seen you and what you're doing and your work and your ethos. Yeah, you come across as a really incredibly, and also just talking now, self-assured, confident, very um, clear on what you believe in and what you're committed to person. So I'm glad you say like, I'm not a risk taker, because I think sometimes people can assume maybe this is my own, uh, like internalized stigma, but people can assume like, oh, if you're having a home birth, it's because you're deliberately putting two fingers up at the system or you're a kind of hippie or you're just really into being at home all the time you just don't like leaving the house Uh, I honestly think that being at home if you are a low-risk person and based on what I've seen in the hospitals mm -hmm. it is safer to deliver at home I actually from my experience and what I've seen and I've only seen you know close to 400 births there's people that have seen thousands of babies being born but from what I've seen I've seen le- less 
um, trauma happen in the home birth setting. I've seen less unnecessary interventions happen in the home birth setting. Mm. I'm a big, big fan of home birth. Not every client wants it though. Some people are like, I really, really want a sweet, juicy epidural, <laughs> like, or I want to plan a cesarean birth, which I support that too. I just, I find that if you are a low risk individual, that a home birth setting is the safest setting for you, but that's just, or maybe a birthing center, but midwifery care for sure. It's not the norm here in our country though. In the U.S., you know, midwifery care is something that we have to fight for. And there's legislation that re restricts it. And, you know, we have a maternal mortality crisis here. There are not enough midwives. There are not enough black midwives. So there's things here that we really, you know, need to shift and change. And it's not being done systemically. It's being done by grassroots organization. I got a baby in me. Oh, gosh, how did that get there? Oh, magic. Straight, straight. Oh, magic. So I was going to ask you, coming back to pleasure, about the crossover, because a lot of what you're talking about just is ringing so many bells for me in terms of people outsourcing their bodies, people thinking, I actually probably don't know what's best for me. I'll ask an expert. I'll put my hands, myself in the hands of a clinician, somebody who's got a degree or a PhD, as, uh, and, and not necessarily trust the things that are coming or even feel the things or hear the things or sense the things that are coming from me. Because that's that's been quite a recurring thing with conversations about orgasm, conversations about pleasure in general, is a sense of becoming cut off from the neck down from what's happening in your body. Do you think that that's similarly taken place with birth? We've been shut off from trusting our intuition and that little voice that guides us. We've been so shut off from trusting ourselves. Do you know, like, even before... You know, when I was going back from OB to midwife, home birth, hospital, my intuition was like, it's fine. You're going to be okay. Like, follow, like, follow your lead, follow your gut. And like, I couldn't listen to it because anxiety is a liar. There's so much fear-based information out there. People want to tell you and share all their trauma instead of lifting you up. I mean, it's, it's so hard to hear that little voice because so much gets in the way of it. And tells you that like, oh no, you know, like, I don't, I can't tell you how many people discourage me from doing the things that I would do. Like, oh, that's not safe. I, I tell OBs like as a birth worker, oh, how many kids do you have? I'm like, yeah, I got six. And I had a couple home births. I have my twins at home. They're like, oh my God. And they've told me straight up that I'm negligent. They have offered their opinion. And I'm like, I didn't ask for your opinion. And that's just what I say. I'm like, I didn't ask for your opinion. They're here. They're safe. Like on to the next thing. And I changed the subject, but mm. I've been told that by many OBs um, and, and, and strangers on the internet, they like to tell you their thoughts too and opinions. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I have been astonished being pregnant out in public because obviously we had this lockdown as everyone's had. So for a large proportion of my pregnancy, I wasn't really seen. And then just as I became very pregnant, very noticeably pregnant, Everything started to open up. So public pools, I swim at an outdoor pool, which I love. It's been a game changer. And yet I've had so many people come up to me and primarily women, which is interesting. Men often are very celebratory. I had one lovely old man come up to me and say, oh, well done. Congratulations. That's 
brilliant that is. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. And I had to assume he meant my pregnancy rather than my brilliant bikini. And uh, and I've had several women come up to me and say things like, you're massive. Wow, you're big. When are you due? Yeah, I can tell. It must be any minute you look ready to drop. Just really intense commentary on my body, which I can only imagine is a reflection of how they themselves either experience pregnancy or feel about seeing a pregnant body because it's such a... Uh, it's such a change, obviously, from the norm. It's such a it's such a stretching of the female form in an extraordinary way that I, I sometimes reflect and think: Is that coming from a place of like horrified fascination? Because that's how it comes across <laughs> when people make those comments. But it does feel like pregnant bodies are a really public commodity that people are allowed to own almost in public discourse. And certainly, like obviously, as you're saying. Even after you finish being pregnant, that continues. People are allowed or assume they're allowed to comment on the choices you made. I found that too. And I think it's people's own repressed stuff that they've never dealt with or mm. the way that we allow, you know, politici- politicians to make decisions about our bodies. And it's like we, you know, are in these societies too that don't allow us to claim ourselves, right? Like our society and our culture thinks that they know what's best for our bodies, right? So like, of course, people are going to make these comments because it's shit they haven't dealt with themselves. Like we are all just mirrors for one another, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so these horrified comments are stuff that they never dealt with themselves. Like I, when I was pregnant with the second set of twins, I carried until about 40 weeks. So I was massive. You know how they measure the fundal, the fundal high, uh, growth or whatnot. And I was probably measuring 55 weeks pregnant. Wow. Right? Like based on the measurement of my fundus and people would, I, I stopped going out because yeah. I was like treated like I was just this, you know, oh my gosh, look at like I was on stage. Right. And I, I just, I just wanted to pe- people to be like, you know, good job. But it was always about how I physically look, but we're obsessed with that right? We're obsessed with like being youthful. We're obsessed with our bodies and the size and the shape. And it's all like rooted in this like white supremacist hierarchical structure where, you know, people feel they can have ownership over our bodies. But also seem to make quite negative judgments. Like when you put your two thumbs up, when you were saying like, good job, that's all you want. That's all you just want people to go like, you are doing incredible. Wow. Good on you. That is brilliant. Or you're beautiful. Yeah, like this or is you're beautiful. beautiful. Like you're so beautiful. Like if you say anything, say, say that they're beautiful, even if they, they're like, they may not agree. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like maybe I don't feel beautiful, but they like, wow, you are stunning or you're amazing. Like, because what our bodies do to create life is fucking amazing. Yeah. Right. Don't comment about the size or the stretch marks or the hemorrhoids or, you know, I'm obviously you can't see the sure, hemorrhoids, sure, but the sure. person pregnant feels them. <laughs> Absolutely. That celebration is so required. You know, fun anymore. All you do is work that clear. I need more to get at it. Tell me about how you got into being a doula, because I'm fascinated about that journey. And then if that's reflected in any way in your relationship with your body. So this podcast is all about pleasure and people kind of developing 
almost an identity of pleasure, understanding who they are as a pleasure body. So I'm interested to know whether there's any kind of parallels between you mm. moving into a really empowered position, a really empowered profession, I would say, in the way that you operate in it and the way that you are in your body. I mean, I would, I would say absolutely. I came to this work after doing years of rape crisis counseling. Wow. Like I did rape, rape crisis work and, and doing advocacy work within the community and, and doing volunteer work. And, and so I gave birth with my first in a birthing center. I had midwives. It, it was an experience, but it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have an epidural. I did this thing. And then I got pregnant with twins. And the way that it was treated was very different because it was high risk because it was two babies and you mm -hmm. have to have an epidural. You can't have a doula. You have to deliver in the operating room. You should probably get a C-section. Like the, the care was so different. And I felt so sideswiped. Like I didn't know that it was like this because I had a very different experience the first go around. And I remember being in labor and the, the OB I saw the whole pregnancy who I did like wasn't there. There were eight doctors in the practice. I didn't realize there wouldn't be like a continuation of the care that I was receiving prenatally. There was a lot I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I had somebody I wasn't familiar with, a stranger, a male, some, like, and something that triggered me deeply and not knowing and not trusting my care provider. And this person was also trying to get me to have a cesarean, like, oh, just have a cesarean. I'm like, well, are the baby's heart rates deselling? Is there like a problem? And he's like, no, it's probably just the safest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm okay with a cesarean birth if something is wrong. I go, but if nothing's wrong, like I'd like to really give this a go. I've given birth before vaginally. My chances of doing this are pretty damn high unless, you know, something goes amiss. There was so much risk management and fear-based language and coercion in that process that I did end up getting a vaginal birth, but I felt like I had to fight for it. Mm. And I remember on the other side of it being like, if I had spoken a different language, if my skin was black or brown, if all these things, I probably wouldn't have had the outcome that I had. And I felt like I needed to pay it forward in some way and, and share the options and highlight options for other people. So I had done rape crisis for so long. I wanted to be part of something um, positive and potentially empowering right? I had seen the, the worst of humanity and doing rape crisis work. Like it felt good to support other survivors. I'm a survivor too. Mm -hmm. But being in a space of birth was this opportunity to also rebirth yourself. And I wanted to be able to just hold space for other people while they went through that major transition. And since working as a doula, has that just extended that journey further? So that the sense of rebirthing yourself during your own births has, has being a part of other people's births supported that absolutely and it's it's less about me now I mm. think a lot of people find their way to birth work because of like their own experiences it's a very personal reason and I've moved out of that and I've moved mm -hmm. out of the place like I've moved out of my own ego in this work like I've done my healing I've processed my shit now I feel like there's just some there's a higher calling for me like it's just it's something else this this is there's a lot I don't understand and then it's almost spiritual um, I I've seen babies maybe decide they didn't want to come in and then mm -hmm. watch their souls enter their body and watch them come into their bodies. Like there's some other level. <laughs> it's even hard for me to articulate, but it's bigger than me. Um, I now have a lot of interest in maybe supporting folks as they transition out of this 
the, out of their bodies, mm -hmm. right? So making it full circle and, wow. and really working with people as they transition out of this realm. So um, I'm not sure what's next, but I but I, I do find myself being called to help people and support people through transitions, right? Mm -hmm. Not just not just birth, but but you know I had a friend have a uterine dis uh, surgery. And I had to go and I didn't have to, I went, I wanted to go and be there to help her manage her pain, mm -hmm. right? Cause she wasn't being listened to and then make sure she got home safely. Like I'm feeling very called to just help hold space for people when they go through major transitions. Cause I don't feel like our systems are in place to provide that for people. She's coming home to me. She's coming home to me. She's coming home. Please don't leave. Have you seen, have you experienced, have you been part of many orgasmic births? Just bring it back to orgasms. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about orgasms. Always, always. Um, I have been a part of births that were, maybe, maybe it was their version of an orgasmic birth, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually had an orgasm. A lot of them don't articulate <laughs> that or not, right? Because it's, um, but I taboo. have definitely, is there a taboo around it? Would you say it's, you know, I have had clients not even know what their cervix looks like, mm. right? Like I had a client find their cervix and be just like, what is this? This pink donut? What is this? And like, I am a 40 year old person and just finding my cervix for the first time. And like, we are so disconnected with our own bodies. We are so disconnected from like that, that sex and pleasure are so intertwined and that Sometimes in birth, I've had couples go off into a room and be really super intimate to help the labor process progress because the same thing that gets the baby out is what gives us orgasms. It's oxytocin. It's the same shit. It's the mm. pleasure hormone. Mm. And so I've had clients like do nipple stimulation. I've had the, a partner like sucking on their partner's nipples to bring contractions on. I've had clients go and be intimate and, and do their thing in another room to like bring labor on. I've had clients also try to have an orgasm as a mode of pain management during contractions because the blood flow going to that area can help to minimize some of the sensation of the contractions. I've had clients try to induce labor by having orgasms. Mm -hmm. the, 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 what happens when you have an orgasm could, could maybe cause you to go into labor. I tried it. I'm like, <laughs> for all of my pregnancies, I'm like, I want to go into labor. Where is my vibrator? Like, cause it, it works your body, you know, <laughs> my and mom like, said to me, this is a very system. English reference this is a very English reference. So I apologize. Um, but my mom said to me that she she was like, that was in the Marks and Spencer's birthing guide. that You should have sex the night before your due date. And I was like, wow, mom. And, sh and she, <laughs> she suddenly went like, oh gosh, is that something, <laughs> is that too much for me to have shared? And I was like, no, it's really cool. She was like, well, it was, it was in the M&S birthing guide. Like that made it absolutely fine because Marks and Spencer's had said it was okay. Yeah. Oxytocin is what, what, what happens when you have an orgasm. It's what happens when you have a contraction. It's what happens when milk releases from your body. Mm. Like it's all interconnected that it's separated from birth is so wild to me. Like the whole act of birth is sexual. It's exactly mm. what it is that, it, that somehow like an orgasm is somehow like not okay during the process or something that shouldn't be strived for is bananas to me. 
right? I do have a colleague who was like her first birth. She was like the whole time she was like, mm, and like she said it was so <laughs> orgasmic and she talks about it proudly. She has no fucking shame about it at all. Mm. And I should probably link you two up because she is <laughs> amazing. And so she speaks about her experience very openly and, and unapologetically. And it's awesome. Isn't it amazing? I wonder if this is more English than American, but you can certainly, I'm sure, tell me that we're so ashamed to celebrate pleasure in certain contexts that, yeah, that should be something to be ashamed of as opposed to be like extremely proud about. (laughs) I I think that we still have so many taboos here in in the US as well. I think there's a lot of taboos around it. And Mm. and, and, and I think it's... I can't wait for there to be a time when we can be sex positive and where we can celebrate pleasure and where we can access it more because I feel like we're so repressed and not in touch with like, as a young person who started being sexually active, like I didn't end up having an orgasm for many, many years. I remember the first time having an orgasm and being like, this is what it is. And being so surprised. And like, after being sexually active for many years and not having orgasms, not Mm. knowing what it even was, because it wasn't talked about, like my parents talked to me about sex and like how the things work. No one talked to me about pleasure. No one talked to me about orgasms. No one talked to me about that. That was self-discovery. Imagine if we started talking to younger children about like pleasure imagine, right? Like, I think there's a way that we can do it where, and and I'm embarking on that with my children as they're like, I have 12 year old Mm. twins. I have a 15 year old. I'm like, how do I introduce this concept of pleasure and, and talk about it in a way that sex positive. So they're not ashamed of finding pleasure in different things. Maybe their birth, maybe, you know, self-exploration. I don't know in anything other than like we, when we think of sex, we think of like penetrative sex, cis hetero sex. Like we don't leave room for what it really is. It's so vast. There's so much more. The whole time we've been talking, I've just been like, that's like pleasure. That's like orgasms. That's like pleasure. That's like when you talk about it being vast and varied, but you've also been talking about pregnancy in exactly the same way, birth and exact. It's all so interconnected. I'm so glad we got to chat today because I feel like there's so many, even though sometimes we haven't explicitly been talking about sex or pleasure or orgasms for that matter there's so many crossovers it's all so entangled and if we had a if we had a wider vocabulary for sexual pleasure and what sex can be like those those parallels would be even more obvious I think and even more kind of spoken about and celebrated and encouraged it's been so wonderful to talk to you how would you how would you describe an orgasm I guess I would describe it as a vibration like an emotional and physical vibration because I think it's, it's both. It is physical, but I also feel like it's almost spiritual. Mm. <laughs> like there's, so, it's, it's a vibration. For me, I'm someone who vibrates very high. So having an orgasm makes me feel a little bit more like me. Mm. And it's like this, also this wonderful release. It's like that surrender we talked about when we talked about like the birth process. An orgasm feels like surrender. It's like, it's a complete surrender. And it's like this relief too, almost like when you push a baby out of your body, it's just like, ah, like it's same, same. So there are so many beautiful parallels. 
That's so cool. Oh, fingers crossed I get one. <laughs> I'm even crossing know. fingers and toes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lindsay. This has been such a fantastic interview. I'm so glad we got to chat. I am too. I, really I was am. really worried that actually I was like, God, it's so close to my birth now, potentially. I mean, it could be two weeks. But I was actually so, I was like, what if talking to Lindsay really puts me in my head and I get like really <laughs> in, in, like het up about like, oh, having the right kind of birth and being surrendering and being free and stuff. But it's just made me feel much more. It's really just reinforced everything I was already feeling when you were talking about the intuition stuff. And that just, I just felt like the choice to go for a home birth. Yeah, there have been some things where I've been like, oh, no. Have I been an idiot? Have we got enough towels? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, is it going to be a real mess? Will I just end up doing loads of washing afterwards? That kind of stuff is stressful. But uh, ultimately, it just felt right. It just felt like the right thing to do. And I really wanted to listen to that instinct and not push it down just because I thought I ought to do something different. So it's been really amazing talking to you. Thank you. I'm glad you listened to your instincts and your <laughs> that that inner voice that we often ignore. I'm so glad you listened to it. It makes my heart happy that and and I and I hope that you have the orgasmic experience that you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs>